Hey there, and welcome to the Smart and Simple Matters show with your host, Joel Zeslovsky. If you're torn between more less or less more, I think I have a solution for you. This is episode number 98. Buenos ding dong dilly dias, tardes or noches. I don't know where it is, what time of day it is while you're listening to this, my friend. But yes, I'm speaking Flanderino again, as in Ned Flanders of the Simpsons fame. I can't help it. I got to bring it up every once in a while. Mixing in some Spanish since I just got back from a family trip to Costa Rica. That, <laughs> that was awesome. But can I tell you something? I, uh, I thought of you while I was gone. Yeah, I know, it's, it's sappy, but I love it when you give me your time and attention, and how can I not be grateful for that all of the time? Let's get straight into the love fest with some fond words from a person on iTunes with the handle Lucy Mile, who left this wonderful review of the show recently. Lucy said, I love Joel's goofy personality and even the sound of his voice. I suspect he must be the world's greatest dad. I'm on board with what matters to him, his authenticity, and the fantastic guests he has on. Thanks for brightening my days, Joel. Wow. I received that, Lucy, and thank you for giving me a boost that those iTunes reviews always provide. I will admit, I am a pretty darn groovy papa, but uh, the world's greatest? Hmm. I don't know. There's another dad you're about to hear from who gets glowing reviews from his two kids as well. Yes, indeed. I have the absolute pleasure, a copious amount of joy, of sharing a chat with my pal Joshua Becker of Becoming Minimalist. You get to listen in. It's mid-April 2016 as I publish this episode, and he has a new book called The More of Less coming out on May 3rd, which (laughs) it is magnificently splendiferous. If you have no idea what that means, it's good. He sent me an advanced reader copy of the book, and now I have superlatives coming out the yin-yang. Or uh, or is it the wazoo? I don't know. The source matters, of course, but I want to transfer that excitement to you. J to the B, that's him, and J to the Z, that's me. We combined for a nifty chat about a lot of niftiness. Would you like to discover why generosity is an act of bravery? Would you enjoy hearing why pulling back the veil on consumerism's lies enables us to find more reliable sources of happiness? Perhaps you dig learning about the three layers of clutter and how to get rid of each one? (laughs) Oh yes, this is a good conversation about a great book with one of the best people on the planet that's certified by yours truly. Let's talk some intentional generosity shop, and here we go. I would like you to know that my guest for this episode, Joshua Becker, is a good friend. To me and to hundreds of other people who enjoy his generosity, humor, and life of service. 
He's also the founder and editor of Becoming Minimalist, a website dedicated to intentional living, the author of The More of Less, Finding the Life You Want Under Everything You Own, and someone that everyone wants to have at their event. Welcome back to the show, my friend. Well, thank you for having me back, Joel. You um, you are a good friend, and I was just smiling knowing that I get to talk to you today. Well, I've got a big smile as well. It's been a while since we last chat for Smart and Simple Matters, eh? It was like three years, almost three years. I think May 2013 was when it was, and we spoke. What did we talk about back then? Comparison. We talked about comparison, how to lead your kids to a lifestyle without forcing them into it, which I know I struggle with. Passionate work, how that becomes more available as you simplify. I think that was hot off the heels of your South by Southwest talk uh, about minimalism. If folks want that, they can go to joelzaslavsky.com slash SASM022. Because you've already been on the show, because we've already explored your seeds of awesomeness, I'm going to skip asking you to dig deep in your memory for experiences from your formative years. Is that okay? You've got it. Man, that must have been a really good podcast that we recorded. That's some deep stuff we talked about. It was deep. We're going to talk about equally deep stuff today. I'm guessing, I'm guessing, I'm not promising, but I'm guessing our, our brains, our conversation is going to go there. But you know what? Probably where everyone wants us to start, I, I, I'm just curious, just real quick. Why can't my favorite sports teams, like the New York Mets and the Wisconsin Badgers basketball team, why can't they ever seem to win at all? Well, the Mets, I think, have a management problem, and the, the Badgers um, just can't quite seem to get over the hump. So yeah. Yeah, is, that they, a pretty, is that a pretty good analysis? Yes. I think in 10 seconds or less, that's the best analysis I could possibly done on the flaws of my favorite sports teams. I don't know why you're cheering for the Mets when you got the Minnesota Twins so close. That's, that's my team. I know. My dad... Born in Brooklyn, my grandpa, raised in Brooklyn, the whole New York Mets thing, it's just been passed down into my blood. I still root for the Twins, but hey, I'm a Mets guy. All right, well, let's get into maybe some of the more substantive conversation pieces, now that I've already joked around and derailed us briefly. I want to talk about the, the More of Less, which is an incredible book that you've recently written And I know some people are going to think, hey, you're the Becoming Minimalist guy. This is a book about minimalism. You, of course, I mean, it is a book about minimalism. I would imagine if there was some kind of a word cloud that I could see from the book, minimalist or minimalism would be probably the biggest word. But I wanted to explore first with you. To me, the main thing that I took away from this is it's a book about generosity. How do you feel as I say that? (sighs) I am grateful that you say that. I would start by saying, first of all, it is it is the best book I have ever written, and uh, and I I don't say that lightly. Uh, Literally, my my editor, uh, a guy named Eric Stanford, was was uh, was so incredibly helpful and and really pushed me to uh, to write in a in a new style and in a new way. Um, so, so I'm very, I'm very thankful for it. I, I wrote a book, Clutter Free with Kids, that was written pretty specifically for parents. But my, my last, I don't know, general appeal book that I wrote about minimalism or owning less was Simplify, which I wrote about a year and a half into pursuing minimalism. It's about 
42 pages long. Um, this one's 240 pages, and it's uh, it's written over um, eight years of writing about this and talking about this and, and answering about it, answering questions about it. And so I think it's I think it's much more mature and, and rich, and I'm I'm thankful that my uh, editor helped bring that out. But going in, my goal was was not just to write a book about owning less. the The goal was always to write about how to live a, a bigger life or how to live um, a, a better life, how to live a, a life that, that contributes to the people around you and, uh, and really challenge people to start looking for happiness outside of money and possessions, but, but even stop looking for happiness in selfish pursuits entirely. So I'm very thankful that, that you would say that, that that's the theme that, that you picked up on. Well, yeah, one of the primary places, and I don't know where in the book, probably chapter 11 or 12 towards the end, you describe generosity as an act of bravery. And you talk about, I felt this, I felt this almost like a a tangible thing that I can, that I have in my skin. When we give away money, when we explore ways of giving our time or our energy, that's scary. Like it's really hard. I think you use the terminology to open our hands, to let go and and we hang on to our possessions just in case, and we think we need to hold on to our money as well just in case. Tell me a little bit more about that, the generosity as an act of bravery. I would start by saying that I, I believe with all my heart that, that everybody wants to be generous, that, that if you ask people if they want to be a generous person, that, I don't know, 99.9% of people would say, yes, I want to be generous. I want to solve problems. I want to help people. The problem is that so many people can't seem to find the space to become generous. They can't seem to find the money left over at the end of the month or the time left over at the end of the day in order to to give themselves or their resources to, to someone else, whatever that you know, cause or, or passion might be. And one of the things that I discovered in minimalism, not just for myself, but for anybody, is that that minimalism is, first of all, owning less is just a better way to live because there's less stress and less worry and we have more money and we have more time. And what that does then is that that creates the space that opens up the opportunity to become generous because we realize that we don't have a need for more that we already do have enough and that our excess can actually become a blessing to others rather than something that we just hoard on to ourselves. And so I say that generosity is an act of bravery and, and it is by nature, right? I mean, anything I, I give from myself to someone else is, um, is based on the assumption that I already have what I need. But in reality, we already do have all that we need. And so while generosity is an act of bravery, we quickly discover as we give that we already have enough. And so this bravery, I think, grows and, and multiplies when, when I encourage people to, to get started with, with generosity. Literally, the first, literally, I tell them, just give away a dollar. Like just go give away $1 to some organization that you believe in. You can even do it online so you don't have to, you know, see somebody in person that you hand a dollar to, right? So just go online and donate a dollar. And what you'll soon discover is that you still have enough money 
for food and shelter and clothing. So then, so then give away $5. Give away $5. And you'll realize, you know what? I still have food. I still have clothing. I still have shelter. Give away $10. Give away $15, $20, right? Even though we're giving away money, we realize that we still have all that we need to take care of ourselves. And so that, that bravery tends to grow and, and make us even more brave and more bold in our generosity. Do you recommend starting with money or would you rather have somebody give away their time or give away a skill set that they have or give away uh, a gift, you know, create a gift and give it to a friend so they get some kind of relationship capital uh, there? It, does it have to be money? No, it doesn't have to be money. Um, I, I would tell people to do whatever's easiest for them. Uh, for some people, it's for some people, it's easier to give money than than time. It's pretty easy to to write a check you know, I, I always think it's a bigger commitment to go, you know, spend an afternoon working somewhere, doing something, committing to doing something um, as not, on an ongoing basis. Uh, but some people, I think giving time brings them more joy. It's even easier for them to do than, than giving money. So for that person, I would say, yeah, go, um, go volunteer, go donate some time. Uh, I think different personalities, um, even in your question, I could see, like, I could see you, like, like you like being hands-on, you, you like being with other people. And so I imagine that, that for you, volunteering volunteering time is something that, that you love to do and, and are good at and, and enjoy. Um, but whatever that might be for each individual personality is where I would encourage them to get started. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, we'll work our way up to being as generous as you are with your friend John, one of the people that you talk about in the book. Um, I think that's not his real name. But this, you remember, I remember on your blog and also in the book, you tell the story about John and how he doesn't particularly seem all that interested in your life, Joshua, but you are interested in him. Uh, he gives you the opportunity to give love without expectation, without the thought that he should reciprocate in any way. And that, that act of generosity, that act of bravery of knowing I'm going to give my time to this person, they will probably appreciate it. Um, but who knows what good is going to come out of it. That, to me, going into it and knowing what the expectation is in the relationship, that is incredibly hard. And for me, my, my primary gifts that I can give to others are social, uh, are often verbal. It's normally not money, despite the fact that I give that as well. So if people want to explore a little bit more in terms of how to be more generous in the relationships, maybe can you just tell the story of your friend John real quick so that people have the context? Yeah, so I, I should I should lay the context. Um, I have a friend. Um, yeah, his, his name's uh, his name is not John. Um, I I changed the name, but um, he's a. I, I guess I I think friend is the right word to, uh, to use. I um, I get a call from him every uh, every couple months, and um, and he'll want to get together for coffee, and and so um, so we'll get together for coffee and and talk. And um, when he's when he's not in a when he's not in a good state of mind, um, I, he spends a lot of nights homeless. And um, but when he is in a good state of mind, he he actually has a place that he live and lives and, and a job that he he shows up to. And so it seems like when he's in a good place, he'll um, he'll give me a call and, and want to get together and we'll we'll talk and he'll tell me about where he's been and how he wants to get his life back together and. I'll encourage him and, and tell him that we're all cheering for him and, and want what's best for him. And then um, it seems like I won't I won't hear from him again as um, as I think addiction you know um, catches up to him and and um, some of the the demons that he he can't quite exercise 
keep popping up in his life. Meanwhile, I, I, I read a lot of commentaries online um, about relationships and, and about um, getting rid of relationships that, that don't feed us, right? And, and I'm like, how does, how does John fit into this relationship? I think the, I think the natural inclination when, when someone starts thinking about minimalism is they say, okay, I'm going to get rid of the, the things in my life that don't serve me. I'm going to get rid of the commitments in my life that don't serve me. I'm going to get rid of the people in my life that don't serve me. And, and the, the article was really written to, to kind of push back on that notion that we should treat people the same way we treat things. Um, and, uh, and we shouldn't. As I say in the book, if if every relationship I have is serving me, then then that's not love. That's that's just selfishness. Um, we we only show love when um, you know truest love is when we uh, extend care towards someone who who can't repay us. And so um, that's where the that that story fits in. And um, one of the reasons it's it's in the book, I think, is because it as you mentioned, it it is about uh, generosity, but but it's also about realizing that one of the reasons we get rid of the things we don't own is so that we, we can spend time uh, making a difference in the world. And, and sometimes that just looks like a, a one-on-one relationship. Absolutely. And I'll say, like, I'm, I'm pretty careful in the book. Like, there are some, obviously, there are some toxic relationships and there are times to end relationships with other people. But if the sole filter I'm using is, does this person serve me? Then I think that's pretty short-sighted and, and doesn't think through all the implications of what I have to offer and actually what, what I'm getting out of this relationship that I have with John, which is an opportunity for me to show love. Yeah, that's one of the things that's always stuck with me, how you're different than a lot of the other voices, which I, I love as still. Um, nothing's better or worse, but you, at least to me, in your writing and us having private conversations in your talk uh, at Simple Rev the last couple of years, the main theme that sticks with me is generosity. And I hear that word, I hear that richness, that we are becoming minimalists. We are having less so that we can do more good in the world. Whether we, Maybe we'll talk about the Hope Effect, the nonprofit that you created, which is just skyrocketing, this amazing organization that I know it's not just you. There's tons of people who are doing a lot of good there. But minimalism as the, the greatest thing that we can do, a lot of people just enter it as an individual pursuit. They want to have less stuff in their home. They want their emotional state to be more stable so that they're not crazy all the time. They want to slow down. But you even, you've talked about in the book, you've talked about it lots of other places over the last couple of years. Minimalism, the greatest benefit, at least on the collective level, is public good and the ability to do a lot of good in the world. When you think about that, from your personal perspective, I mean, obviously you, you've been into the world for eight years and all the things that need to be decluttered, you're pretty much good there. Uh, how you reorient your life and work of service, you've got a very clear vision for it. But now, from your perspective, is, is minimalism your primary tool for doing good in the world? Or is there something else that's there that's assisting that? So what minimalism does is it, it allows us to pursue happiness and fulfillment wherever we want. And so the, the world will, I think uh, society will, um, I would say, hijack our passions and, and direct it towards whatever they want, usually material things. And they'll say, you're going to find happiness and fulfillment in the things that you own. Uh, minimalism pushes against that and says, no, no, I'm, 
I'm not only am I not going to find happiness and fulfillment in the things that I own, oftentimes everything I own is actually keeping me from pursuing real happiness and real fulfillment. And so when we minimize, when we decide to own less, it frees us up to then pursue happiness and fulfillment wherever else we want to look. And people start to look for it in any number of different ways. Uh, So some people begin to look for happiness and fulfillment in um, travel. Some people start to look for happiness and fulfillment in finally quitting their job and um, retiring early, right? Some people decide to look for happiness and fulfillment in now I can now I can have a large bank account. Uh, people are, are free to look for this wherever they want to. What I've discovered, um, and I think that you would find plenty of scientific studies backing up this claim. I'm sure uh, you that, would. You are the stats king. <laughs> I still say you should have a page on Becoming Minimalist that has all the research you've linked to, all the stats over the years. It's just, and, and you have a ton of those in the book, which I think is great. Anyway, continue. That um, that uh, that that it's in that it's in generosity that we actually find our our greatest happiness and in uh, our greatest fulfillment, and that that's where we find our greatest significance in life as, as well. And so, um, what I see minimalism is number one, it's it's about removing things so that we can we can overcome their burden, um, and what that does then is that it frees us up to pursue our passions, however we choose to define them. Um, and then I think the third key, maybe the third door that this book goes through that that a lot of conversations don't, is then it it says, um, and and let me try to challenge your assumptions about where you're actually going to find happiness, and that if you're not going to find them in the accumulation of of money and possessions, that I actually think you're going to run out of happiness in travel and and leisure and and a large bank account. Um, and, and instead that, that maybe this is the place that we, that we should be looking for it. And so in many ways, I think minimalism opens up people to, um, discover, um, all that their life can become and all the potential that, that it can be. Well, one of the things that I've noticed, at least the motivation for minimalism. So this is a theme that I'm hearing from you over and over again in our chat, happiness and fulfillment. Where do we get it? And where, where is our concept of what being happy what being fulfilled comes from. And I know for you, a lot of that is from your religious faith. And you never write about that in Becoming Minimalist. I know you've made a conscious choice. Who knows whether that will change in the future. But I loved, I absolutely loved the fact that you incorporated Jesus and the words of Jesus into the book. And you have a Christian publisher who's putting forth the book. Why did you decide that now was the time to start incorporating. I mean, this is this is your big book. Like, this is minimalism for not just Christians, but for the mainstream. I'm certainly not Christian, but I resonated super strongly with the words of Jesus that you included in there. Why did you decide that now is the time to do that? Well, first of all, that means a lot to me. It was it was, it was one of the hardest questions uh, going into the book was was how do i address my uh my my christian faith in in light of in light of writing this book because because it had to be there for me number 1 it it had to be there because um 
because my my Christian background and and my understanding of the New Testament and the Old Testament and, and what the Bible says, that that my understanding of that has always shaped and influenced my understanding and practice of minimalism. And so while on becomingminimalist.com, I've never I've never said Hey, Jesus said this, so this is why I say this about minimalism. The um, I, I can never remove the connection from my head. It's just it's just too ingrained in in who I am. Um, but this book, I, I think, number one, because it was because it's uh, longer, uh, because it's a, a a longer dialogue than than a blog post is. Um, number one, because as you said, it is it is the book, right? It's, it's my book about minimalism. I, I couldn't write it without, without pointing to, to some of these truths that have, um, that have shaped my, shaped my understanding. Um, that being said, um, I, number one, I, I know that a lot of people who are going to read the book are, are not Christians and, and I wanted the book to, and I think that the truths in the book appeal to a, a much broader audience than, than just Christians. And so, Maybe the the balance uh, the balance going in was okay. How do I how do I make mention of these defining thoughts and defining forces in my life without writing it in a way that sounds like I'm trying to convince the other person, right? Like it's not a book to make Christians, right? It's a, it's a book to encourage people to to own less. So how do I do it in a way that uh, that's sensitive um, to to faith and, and non-faith and yet in a way that's that's very true to, to me and the defining factor that it's been. Well, you pulled it off beautifully, in my opinion. And well, I appreciate I, I'm that. curious, you talk about these truths, uh, whether they're the words of Jesus or from the Old Testament. Can you give us an example of one or two of these truths that come from your religious background and, and the scripture that billions of people around the world view as this is this is how I should be living my life? Well, I think probably the the one that, and it'll even allude to maybe because I've been thinking about it because we've been we've been talking about it, um, not to not to rehash it, but um, yeah, you know one of the one of the truths of that's always been significant to me, or one of the truths of, of Christianity, is that that we were all created for a, a purpose. Um, that that there is a, a good that that we can and we should be accomplishing in the world, um, and that looks very different and very unique for each person based on um, an infinite infinite amount of factors. And so, one of the cases or one of the thoughts I've always had about minimalism is that that minimalism should ultimately allow me to fulfill my purpose in life better. That the goal of, of minimalism isn't just to spark joy, right? Um, that, that, the, that the goal of owning less is what tools do I need to own? What possessions do I need to own in order for me to better fulfill my purpose? And then what are all the things that I've accumulated that are just distracting me from my purpose? Because that's what I want to remove so that I can, I can become, I can accomplish all the good that, um, that I was created to accomplish, um, all the good that, that I can accomplish, that, that that's where I'm ultimately going to find fulfillment is when I fulfill my purpose in the world. What, so minimalism is to ultimately pursue my purpose in life better. I don't think I've ever heard you frame it that way, but that is beautiful. I think you should use that more. <laughs> if you're not uh, ready, maybe you I, are. Um, um, 
I do when I speak. Actually, it's interesting that I that I I might not have um have uh, have written that written it that way. When I when I define minimalism, I I usually say it's it's the intentional promotion of the things we most value and the removal of anything that distracts us from it. Um, and I, I suppose maybe in my mind, in my writing, I'm, I'm confusing values and, and value a little bit that, um, that when I talk about uh, promoting our values, I'm, I'm, I'm actually thinking about you know, fulfilling this purpose and, and promoting what, what we believe we were um, designed and created to do. Well, most of the folks that you're appealing to are people who are not really familiar with the benefits of it. So it makes sense. Before you can explain to somebody why they should or why they could benefit from something, you first want to define it. So you lead with what, and then hot on the heels, you're always coming with the why and the how. And this book, more than any of the others, there's a ton of how-to. I mean, this is, I don't want people, this conversation we're having is rather philosophical in nature, which a lot of my chats generally are. But there is so much practical, actionable goodness in this stuff. Like for earlier, we were ta- actually give me an example if you would. So we were talking earlier about how our excess can be a gift to others. What's a technique that you discover or that you explore in the book where we can look around us? Maybe it's not our physical environment. Maybe it's our relationships. Um, maybe it's our mental state. How can we figure out what is excess? What's holding us back? And how we get rid of a little of it? Well, I have a entire chapter in the book on the importance of experimenting, um, experimenting with less in in almost every area of of life, because um, there is the. I, I always think there's like there's like three waves of clutter. There's three waves of excess possessions in in most of our homes. There's the the first wave of the stuff that I don't even want in my home anyway, I just haven't taken the time to get rid of it. Um, so, so we always, I always encourage people to just start there. Just grab a box and walk around your house and, and just grab everything you don't even want to have in your home anymore. You just haven't taken the, the time to get rid of. Um, then there's a, a, another layer of, of clutter that um, things that have just accumulated, but we really don't use them that often. We don't need them that much. And, and when we go through a, a room item by item, you know, we, can, we can usually grab a number of things that, that just don't need to be in the room anymore that we might not have noticed at first glance. But you know what? I, I actually really don't. I don't really use this coffee grinder all that often. I, I probably don't need it. The third spot then, um, which, which I have, a, like I mentioned, a chapter devoted to in the book is, is about really challenging our assumptions about how much we actually need in any given area of life. Take your, take your closet, for example. And I talk about uh, Courtney Carver's Project 333 experiment where you, where you go down to 33 articles of clothing for three months. And, and it's just a test, right? It's just a way to kind of feel this out a little bit. And maybe you get down to 33 things and, and you try it out for you know, three weeks or a month. And you're like, mm, it's just not enough. I'm doing laundry too much. I, I really need uh, one more outfit that I can wear during the week. And so, so you add to it. Um, or you, you spend three months with 33 articles of clothing. And like me, you get to the end of it. And you're like, that was fantastic. I, I didn't need half the stuff in my closet. I, I prefer having, um, I prefer having less. And so I think one of the, that's one of the most important ways to, to discover what what actually is enough and, and how much 
is excess in our life. So I think there's different ways, different waves and different ways of, of arriving there. I've never done Project 333 before. I guess out of all the things that I was just naturally a minimalist at, clothes were one. And I always blame it on me just being freakishly tall. Being six foot six or two meters for our international audience, it's just really hard to shop to find shoes, uh, to find anything that fits decently. So I guess I was blessed, cursed, well, something with, uh, with not having a lot to start with. But I know clothing is often just a huge thing. That is, uh, that is really funny that you refer to yourself as two meters because you're, you're right. I, I still remember that from high school. 36 inches in a yard, but a meter stick had 39. That's right. So you're, uh, you're exactly at 78. Six, That's six funny. Six foot six inches. That's I'm good with the whole metric. I just, side note, but the fact that our country is not on the metric system is just wild to me. At any rate, uh, so Courtney, you mentioned Courtney's course, Project 333. Well, it's more than a course. I mean, it's, there's a lot around to it. I understand you didn't create your course. This is your first course, Uncluttered. But there is a companion course to the more of less that if people want to pre-order it, they can get it for free. I don't want to miss the opportunity to tell people about that. And I'm going to ask you to do it because you'll do a much better job than me. But when it comes to the world of courses, and Courtney, we love her, we're friends with her, but hers is niche. It's focused just on clothing, which is a wonderful place to start for people. First, tell us a little bit about what Uncluttered is. And then if you could tell us what kind of nifty gift comes up for people who pre-order more or less. Uncluttered is a 12-week online course to help people declutter their homes, own less, and live the life they want. That sounded uh, advertisement-y, huh? No, no. <laughs> no, it didn't? It didn't? No. <laughs> I, you could not be, you could not get into like salesman mode. Hey, everybody, look at this. I got this thing over here that's wonderful. Oh my goodness, you need to get it right now. I don't think you have it in you to do that. You're so uh, Keep going. So, so what I've discovered is that for some people, they can read about minimalism, they can read about simplicity, and, and that's it. That's all they need. They're in, give them a bag, give them a box, and, and they can just walk through the house and get, and get rid of it. Um, but, but I find that that's actually a, a pretty small minority of people. Other people hear the idea of minimalism and, and they desire it to be true of them. But they get stuck usually in three spots. Number one, there's, there's some specific instruction or specific help that they need. I, I really, I need help deciding what to keep and what to get rid of. Um, other people need um, accountability. That the, the desire to own less is, is there, but unless there's someone hey, you can do it. Like, let's do this today. You can accomplish that in a week. Um, they, they never seem to make much progress. And then the third thing is just the encouragement that a community of people can bring. And so I was writing the book, The More of Less, realizing that I can offer some instruction, but I can't offer specific instruction because it's not a how to go through your home and how to do this room and how to do that room. It's, there's principles in the book, but, but it's never as specific as some people need. But the one thing that, that a book can never provide is it never provides ongoing accountability and it never provides an encouraging community around it. And so um, 
and so I, I knew it would fall short in, in, in that way. And so uh, I created the, the Uncluttered Course, um, which, which provides everything that I think the, the written word misses. Uh, it, it provides opportunity for specific instruction and, and detailed thoughts about um, going through your home. Uh, it provides accountability um, that, that, um, that, hey, there's an email you know, coming a couple times a week, asking if you're getting things done and challenging you to do it. Um, and then it provides this, this online community of people who are doing the same thing and tackling the exact same room on the same day or going through Project 333 together and talking about what they're keeping and what they're getting rid of. And so the Uncluttered Course offers everything that the written word um, can't quite offer, which is um, one of the reasons that that I love it. Um, so we um, we took 500 people through it uh, earlier this year, and um, and and now we we said, hey, um, you know what this this is meant to go along with the book, and it's meant to help people who need more than the book. If you pre-order the book, you you get access to the course for free. Um, so so that's the. That's what we're running. the um, The pre order campaign is is pretty important in terms of getting the getting the book out and, and getting it some some publicity and, and getting it into bookstores. So there's a benefit for us to have people pre order the book, uh, and then also there's a, a piece of hey, there's there's benefit to the reader. There's a, a group of people who who are committed to doing this this course together. So um, May second, May second is the last day you can pre order the book. Um, so you can pre-order it anywhere online, and then the the registration page for Uncluttered is my dot dot com, and you can just go there and enter your name and retail of choice and receipt number, and um, and we'll get you started on the group. Along with um, we should have thousands of people going through at the same time. How awesome is that going to be? That is seriously awesome. Bada bing, bada boom. It's that easy. Tell me. So from this current wave, just real quick. Um, and I'll have a link in the show notes to my.becomingminimalist.com. I know, I mean, this, this is significant. This is worth a lot, not only in money, but in terms of connections and in terms of encouragement. So I'm curious, the community angle around Uncluttered, tell me a story real quick about somebody who's already gone through the course, who because of the support, not from you, not from the course creator, but because of the support of the community, they were able to do something that they didn't think was possible. I will tell you that it has been a thousand times better than I thought it was going to be. Um, and literally, it's a, uh, we have a, a private Facebook group that, that we put together. Uh, we have a few live webinars um, where, we, where we take questions and, and talk to people. Um, but the, the private Facebook group, we, we started, um, we, we opened it up. And uh, within within the first day, there were people not just introducing themselves, but making the connection. Oh, hey, I, I live in Iowa. I'm in Australia too. I didn't know we had more Australians. And they're like, oh yeah, so-and-so is also from Australia. And like within the first day, we had four or five people from Australia that had, had already connected online. Um, and then we, we do a lot of Encouraging people to to ask questions in the Facebook group. So, hey, how do you handle this? What do you do with that? Uh, someone may have already handled that in the past or um, handled a different time. We have several uh, professional organizers who are going through the course who hop in and, and ask and answer specific questions. But probably the biggest thing that it does for people, well, two things. I'm just thinking of a specific story that just popped up yesterday. Um, one thing that it does is it it encourages people that the challenges 
can be done uh, because we'll say, hey, post your before and after photos of your kitchen or your closet or your bathroom. And, and people will do it. And, and there's others who are like, oh, gosh, I can never get through my kitchen in a week. And then you see photos of people who have done it. And, and I think it, it just breeds confidence. Well, gosh, if these people can do it, I, I can do it as well. Um, and then, man, there's, there's, it's, it's shocking. There's, there's even emotional support that, that's going on. Um, just a comment yesterday. Um, someone had a piece of furniture that was handed down from their grandmother to their mother to them. And they, and they didn't want it. it. It didn't match their home. It was not just in the way, but it was like a, a burden that she had to have this furniture that she didn't want, but meant so much to her mom and her grandma. And, um, and she said, I'm, I have a bad attitude. Like I have resentment that, that I have to have this piece of furniture. And so I'm, I'm about to tell my mom that I really need it to go somewhere else. And, uh, and man, just the, the flood of, of comments uh, around her story of, I, you know, you can do it. This is the right thing. I, I, people are sharing similar stories of conversations they had with their parents about heirlooms that have been passed down and solutions that they had found. Um, it's just a very, a very practical example of, of how that community is, is really rallying around um, each other. I hadn't thought about that in a long time. There's lots of people who are talking about how we can deal with sentimental items when we are the ones who have the emotional attachment to it. But to have your family, to have to tell your mom or your dad, hey, I'm getting rid of grandma's relic. I just, I can't, I can't do it anymore. That is a doozy right there. I think that's almost harder. So if people can handle that, wow, that's wonderful. Well, hey, um, your book will be something different to each person. Um, some people will use it for individual benefit, which is wonderful. Other people will use it for collective good. Wh- whatever the motive for people getting into it, whatever they actually end up getting out of it, I can guarantee from reading it that it is going to be just a tremendous book for, I hope, millions of people. If I have anything to say about it, I will do my small part in getting this into as many people's hands as possible. Is there anything we didn't talk about that you'd like people to know, though? You know, I'll uh, I'll mention um, uh, Jeff Sanquist, who um, has the Intentional Wandering podcast. He uh, I sent him a copy of the book, and I recorded a podcast with him um, last week, and and he he made a great statement, one that uh, very much I appreciated as as much as you appre- I appreciate your comments about. It seems like you're talking about generosity in this book as much as anything else. I appreciate how you uh, approach the, 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 the Christian faith, but not in a uh, demeaning way. Um, uh, one of the things that Jeff said um, is he said, man, I've been reading your material for years and I picked up this book expecting more of the same. He said, but I found myself thinking of have, having new thoughts and thinking about new things that I've, I've never thought about while, while reading this book. And it was, it was a great compliment. Um, because I, I think one of, my, one of my challenges, one of my thoughts going in was, okay, I've, I've got some books about owning less. How do, I, how do I sound new? How do I sound fresh? How do I sound richer and deeper and, and more mature and more comprehensive and more helpful and inspirational than, I've, than anything I've ever written before? And um, I think this book does it. I think the book pulls it off and I, um, I, I literally could not be um, more happy with it. It does. And compliments to your editor too. I know just how amazing it is to have that pocket editor who's pushing you, who's challenging you to write in a, a softer, sometimes more forceful voice. I think you, 
benefited tremendously from uh, the infrastructure around the book as well as the book itself. Well, for people, I think people already know they can go to becomingminimalist.com to find you. You're on Facebook, you're on Twitter, you're on a lot of different places. But since this conversation has been focused mostly around the more of less, if I want it, where do I get it? The book is called The More of Less, Finding the Life You Want Under Everything You Own. Uh, It is available for pre-order on every imaginable online retailer. You can even find it on walmart.com if you would like. And uh, it will be available in bookstores everywhere starting May 3rd. Awesome. Well, thank you for being so generous with your time. Every time we talk, when the podcast mic is on or when it's off, I just get the sense that it's just me. Uh, and so your, your, this theme of generosity, it just flows through everything you do. It's a part of who you are. I, I can't separate the word and you. So thank you for the time that you've given me. And thanks for all the generosity that you showed everybody who's listening as well. And thank you for your generosity of allowing me to uh, talk about something important to me. All right. That was my man, J to the B, talking about how to be one with more generosity. That would have been enough, but we threw in some bonus intentionality, minimalism, purpose, and significance into the mix, and there is perhaps a bigger bonus waiting for you if you act by May 2nd, 2016, the day before Joshua's book, The More of Less, becomes public. Here's how it works. Step one. Get your copy of the book by May 2nd, which you can easily snag when you go to joelzeslavsky.com slash the more of less. Step two, go to joelzeslavsky.com slash uncluttered for a quick path to Joshua's Uncluttered course. If it's before May 3rd, 2016, click the button that says get free access now and follow the steps to get your sweet, super sweet hookup for a wonderful course. If it's after May 3rd, I still highly recommend the Uncluttered course, and there are thousands of people who have taken it that would agree with me. If you want links to the book, the course, all the other stuff we spoke about, topic timestamps, takeaways, more grooviness, it's all in the show notes at joelzaslavsky.com slash S-A-S-M-098. You'll also see information in the show notes about how to support me, this show, and our community at joelzaslavsky.com slash support. If you're not already a podcast subscriber, an email newsletter, getter dude or dudette, or you want to leave a brief iTunes review, you'll find links to all that at joelzaslavsky.com slash S-A-S-M-098. Really, though, I don't want to distract you from, I don't want to do any other housekeeping. All I want to do is support Joshua and the good he's doing in the world because that means the world to me. So please, show this selfless, hilarious, and fantastic man some love in whatever way you feel is most appropriate. You've just listened to the Smart and Simple Matters podcast with Joel Zislavsky. Now go simplify something, hug someone, or get your sexy spreadsheet on.